And now, here's your host of Shaping Success, Wes Tankersley. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Shaping Success. I'm your host, Wes Tankersley. We always got a little technical difficulties, but my guest right here is Craig Daigle. He's hopped on right here. I was going to say something before, but now, hey, we're just going to roll with it. Craig is a friend of mine that I had met through Nikki P, who we do the radio show with, and he's also a beach body coach, a life coach, a speaker. He's been through a lot of stuff. Craig, thanks for hanging out with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Wes. You know, I've been really looking forward to joining you and talking to your community and, and hoping to uh, help everybody out. And I love what you guys are doing over here. Yeah, I really appreciate you um, hanging out and taking the time because I think that it's pretty important for people to see people's stories, where they come from, how they do things, and, and the types of situations that they have going on. And, and you've been through a lot. Um, tell, us, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm um, 41 years old. I'm a father of four sons. Um, three are biologically mine. Uh, one of them is a bonus son that I have with my wife. Um, I currently live in Oklahoma. I sound like I'm from Oklahoma, right? But I'm not from Oklahoma. Um, I moved to Oklahoma in 2019 and the path to Oklahoma was, um, uh, was a, it was a pretty crazy path. Um, I'm gonna give you a little bit of the cliff notes and then you pick and part and we'll dive into each section. Before you get into the, you said you're from Oklahoma, Oklahoma, <laughs> but you, you and you said you sound like no. you're from Oklahoma, but I don't think so. I'm guessing <laughs> no. maybe like New York or over that way. Yes, I was so I was born in Methuen, Massachusetts, about 20 minutes north of Boston, and I lived on the New Hampshire, Massachusetts border my entire life. So, are you a kind of a fish out of water in Oklahoma? You know, I am, but it's it's crazy. I mean, if for the most part, um. Life is much slower here than right. it is on the East Coast. Um, even just how people, not just how they move, but how they speak, how they talk, everything is. So when I get into a conversation with somebody, forget about it. They're just looking at me like they don't know what I'm saying. They're hearing me, you know, drop my R's when I talk about car and park and all that stuff. They're just kind of looking at me like they don't know what to do, but. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been a very crazy experience. Cause I mean, I moved here October, 2019. So I was here for a few months and then the pandemic hit. So like, I'm kind of still fresh to Oklahoma. I haven't really you know? figured it's it like, out yet. Nah, it's ev everything kind of like the world erupted when I got here. So it's been, uh, it's been crazy. Awesome, man. You know, that's kind of crazy though. Like, just like you said, pandemic kind of just changes everything, right? It just kind of makes things completely different and you got to figure out a lot of things. How has that affected you in what you're doing? Um, you know, it, it didn't really affect what I was doing um, other than pulling me off of live events and pulling me off of stages was kind of detrimental to me mentally. Um, I was at the time pretty much traveling around the country, speaking at events, uh, sharing my story. It just kind of moved virtual at that point. And as far as, you know, business and everything, my, my business boomed. Obviously, everybody was stuck at home. Um, and mental health is like it's it's something that I am 
I speak openly about, I speak openly about men's mental health, um, mainly for the fact that one in four people who die from suicide are men. One in four people, uh, no, four of those people, one of them is, is female. So for every four people that, that die from suicide are men. And I'm like, that statistic is just, is crazy to me to know that so many men, and I think about the times, I don't think that I was ever to the point where I was gonna, you know, attempt it. But the thoughts that poured in my mind over the years of, um, you know, people would be better off in my life, uh, uh, like things would be easier, things would be simpler. I wouldn't have to deal with so much anymore. I could just forget about it and end it all right now. Like those thoughts have crossed my mind. They, they were there. They were predominant in the forefront of my process of some of the things I went through. And the decisions that I made were not that. They were choices. You know, it's, it's crazy. Wes, I, I used to say um, this phrase, and you may have heard that, and anybody listening has probably said this, right? You know when you're going through some crazy stuff and you're just, you're making it happen, and people in your life who are supporting you or, or are proud of you, they're like, their response to it is, I don't know how you do it. Like, that's, that's their response, right? And immediately your response back is, I don't have a choice. Yeah. And that was the response that I made constantly until I was corrected by one of the clients that I, I connected with early on in you know, my transition as a single father, fresh out of divorce, going through a lot of stuff. I was working 80 hours a week and I was working out every single day. I was constantly working on nutrition and fitness. And he said to me, man, I don't know how you do it. And I said, I don't have a choice. And he goes, I'm going to stop you right there. And I said, for what? Like, here's my ego and pride building up inside of me. Like, what is this guy talking about? And he said, I'm going to correct you because you're wrong. You are dead wrong. He says, you have a choice. You've had many choices. The choice that you chose, I'm going to point out, he goes, you could have turned to drugs and alcohol. You could have gave your kids up for adoption. You could have passed kids off to family members. You could have committed suicide uh, or, or, or died by suicide. You could have. There's so many choices that you could have made. He goes, the choice that you made was to not give up. And I was like, I was taken back by that statement because for years I had heard people say, I don't have a choice. I'm, doing what I got to do, you know, like this tough talk that we have to have. No, like I made a choice. The choice that I made was to be the father my kids deserve, to do my best, to try to provide, to fight, to continue to change. So let's, you know? let's talk about, yeah. so the speaking and the mental health and all this stuff, there's a big story that took place before this whole situation that caused all this yeah. thought process, right? What, what happened? I mean, I think that one of the biggest things, and we talked about this a little bit before, is that a lot of times when people get divorced or in there in an abusive relationship, it always points towards the male is the abuser and the female is not right. So what was your right. situation? How did this, how did this unravel? So in, so 2006, I had my, my first son, uh, my oldest son, I ended up getting a phone call from a buddy, his, 
his mother was unfaithful. She was out at a bar one night. And that was when I first became a single father. During that time, I ended up getting full custody um, through our custody um, case. And that was detrimental to my mental health right there. So I was already like on edge about relationships and about women and whatnot. Two years later in 2008, I ended up meeting a woman who had two daughters. Her youngest daughter was a year older than my son. She was a single mom and her older daughter um, was born with a genetic disorder. and She wasn't um, medically supposed to survive and she did. And she survived until she was seven years old. And while we were dating, her oldest child passed away. We stayed together. Um, we ended up buying a house together. We ended up um, having a child together. We got married. We had a child together. And during that time, she developed a habit with prescription drugs and alcohol. Um, a lot of it stemming from grief process of losing her daughter. And I enabled it. I enabled it every single day that it happened because who am I to say how you handle that? I can't say that I would be okay. Like, I don't know that I, I would be, I would like to think that I would handle it differently, but I don't know. During that time, um, drugs and alcohol, man, like this, she would get so high or so drunk that she didn't know what was going on. So there were a lot of domestic um, situations, mostly, mostly verbal. Um, it got physical quite a few times. Um, and as far as physical, like, was I scared for my life? No, unless I was asleep. I was afraid to go to bed at times, man. Like um, my ex-wife, she was five feet tall, a hundred pounds. At the time I was, pushing 400, 450. Um, I was completely unhealthy. Depression uh, just ate me alive in that marriage. So anytime that cops were involved, whether it was the neighbors that called it, uh, there were times we were living in an apartment. Anytime they arrived, I was automatically pulled aside uh, detained. I'll say, um, I wasn't handcuffed all the time. There were times that I was the thing that saved me every single time though, Wes was our children. And it, it would be, and you know, I wish they didn't witness the things that they did. And I thank God every day that they did, because if they didn't, they would have been responding with, I don't know. I didn't see what happened or I, I, I don't know what happened. You know what I mean? It would have right. been a different response than my dad didn't do that. My dad would never do that. My dad was defending himself. You know what I mean? And, right. and they were young, man. My, my, uh, my oldest, shoot, he was, he was probably like six or seven at the time. And my stepdaughter, you know, was eight or nine. Um, when some of these times happened and it was just, it was, it was horrific for kids to go through. I'll tell you what though, like if, if you're in a domestic situation, I'm going to tell you right now, like kids are absolutely resilient. Um, but whatever excuse you're using to stay in that situation and not change things, stop, like 
get get over yourself number one and and get help because i i did it for eight years for eight years i stayed in an environment in a situation that i didn't belong to be in and our children didn't belong in and we're all better off for it now like all of us every single individual involved is better off what was your as as a child growing up what was your family dynamic like so like we're the same age. I'm a little bit older than you, but you know, I'm 42. So I'm just a little bit older than you just turned 42. My household, it was, my parents have been married for 30 plus years now, maybe 40. And I got to think about it really. Yeah. I think it's 30 something. Anyway, they've been married for a long time. They argued a lot. They fought a lot, but it was like, always like, we're going to stay together. We're going to make this work. And, and it's a little, it wasn't like, it was like crazy dynamic or anything like that, but that was kind of the, you didn't get divorced back then. Right. If you got divorced, it was a, it was like a faux pas or whatever. It was like, this is not, you're not a good person because you get a divorce. You're supposed to stay married. You're supposed to work it out. I mean, was that the way it was in your house and that kind of the way you were looking at it? Or what do you, what was that like? I mean, that that's kind of the way that it was in my house. My parents have been married 41 years. Um, my parents were young parents. I was the, I'm the oldest of three. Uh, my parents are still together. And again, like I've, I watched and witnessed plenty of ups and downs in their, their life that would affect their marriage, but they're still together. Um, no, you want to know what held me there was the, the thing that I told myself was I didn't think that I could handle being a single parent with all the children, but I knew that I needed to for, for them. But I also didn't know how I would do it because at the time um, I worked so I, I, I've worked industrial maintenance my whole life. So I worked at a power plant um, at the time and I would work like 80 hours a week. Plus I would be on call once every eight weeks. And I'm like, where are the children going to go? Right. And at the time, my parents, my parents had moved in 2010 um, to Arizona. So I'm in New Hampshire, living on the Massachusetts, New Hampshire border married going through domestic violence constantly i put this mask on every day that i was you know happy and that things were fine and did things with our kids our kids you know functionally were in sports groups extracurricular stuff but it was me it was it was me doing all the things it was me just busying our life to um to keep myself away from all the other things that were going on at home and just to kind of stay away from from home. But I just kept telling myself that I needed to stay there for our children. And, and our children was what was keeping me there, which is, you know, in hindsight, the dumbest reason ever to stay because the reason to leave was our children. Right. And it was like, you know, it, it just, it, it really grabbed me. And you know what? Wes, I honestly would have never gotten out of that situation if it wasn't for a rock bottom. Like, so August 11th, uh, 2015, we're living in an apartment. Um, uh, my, my youngest son at the time was three, had just turned three years old uh, in May. Um, my stepdaughter was 11. My, my oldest son was 10. Um, and I'm just kind of like thinking about how am I going to do this? What, what am I going to do? And I had gotten her a job. I was working at a local hospital. I was working as a maintenance technician. Um, and I had gotten her a job there. 
she was she was a highly educated person. She was a respiratory therapist. Um, she had given up her respiratory license because just drugs, drugs and alcohol. She just stopped doing things. Um, so I was, you know, kind of trying to turn her life around again. I, I'm, I was fighting for, for her at the time. And I got her a job at the hospital that I worked at and I got home and she was working second shift. I worked first shift. I got home with the kids. I was making the kids dinner. All of a sudden, like a couple hours after she was supposed to be at work and she met me at work to drop the kids off. A couple hours later, she comes home and I'm like, why are you home so early? And they're like, oh, they, they let me leave early. And then I smelled it. I smelled alcohol on her breath. Um, and I'm like, what do you mean they sent you home early? And I'm like, why do you reek like alcohol? Like, and she goes, oh, I went out with one of the girls from work that, and I had been working there a while and I knew all the people and I immediately shot a text to the woman that she said that she was, she was out with. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, okay, like here, here we go. Like, this is, this is wrong. Like, this is beyond anything else that was going on like this has brought it to a whole new level like we're making up a complete fabricated story to drink alcohol now at this point because she was supposed to be sober um and it just escalated from there like it just turned into a, a heated argument we were living in an apartment uh and the neighbors in i don't know if it was our building or or the building next to us it was summertime so the slider was open could have been anybody could have been somebody walking by they heard the argument they called the cops which i'm so thankful that they did because at the time that they arrived um it was like gonna get much worse <clears throat> i remember holding our three-year-old and she was hitting me with an oscillating fan one of those stand fans that mm -hmm. that just kind of turns in it was in our living room she was hitting me with that as I was shielding him in my arms. She was hitting me in the back. The other two kids, I, I told them to go into the back bedroom. I said, just go in the back bedroom, lock the door. I, I stuck him in that room with them. I said, watch your little brother. I said, just stay here. I said, I'm, I'm going to try and get this to stop. The cops came immediately. You know, the guy comes in, the male cop and a female cop. The male cop comes in and I don't know if he was trying to prove a point or what he was doing, but he came in, he cuffed me, sat me down on the table. You know, he had ran into her outside of the apartment and got her story first before he came in. Um, and I just sat there quiet. Like let's, let's talk almost, about this. You said before that yeah. she is like five foot, right? She's little, little gal yeah. and you're a big dude. You're what? How tall are you? Six feet, six feet. And you're like, pushing 400 you said so you're this big dude yeah. and, and the first thing that they walk in and they always like try to assess the situation and go this guy is way bigger than this guy he's pushing you know he's pushing her around right so you're you're basically guilty before just just by the way you look yeah every single time brother every time and i had been through it so many times that i knew i knew the drill so i just stayed quiet i didn't say a word i just sat there and Cause I didn't know where, where it was going to go at this point. <clears throat> so I sat there and, uh, the female cop, I, I noticed her, like her body language almost. I, I don't know how to describe it, but 
she almost looked like she was uneasy by how he was speaking and what he was saying to me. Mm. And, and he, I don't even remember all the things that he said to me. Cause it was like such a heated moment, you know, right. but I remember he was like, Oh, I bet you feel tough. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and I, I'm paraphrasing. He was saying all this stuff. <clears throat> and I remember fighting to just be quiet and I'm stubborn. I, I got a mouth on me. I, I'm from New England. We were <laughs> boisterous people. Right. Um, I, I lost it. And I said to him, I said, I said, number one, you're wrong. And when this is all done, I'm going to have your badge and I'm going to ask that you be fired. And he just looked at me like kind of in shock. And I said, before you speak anymore, you might want to figure out what's going on. And that kind of like... It de-escalated the moment um, because I was I was angry. I was so angry because not only was I just fighting with my wife at the time, getting hit with things, but now I'm in handcuffs and now I have this person talking down to me who wasn't there and has no idea what's going on. Right. And that's when the female cop said, let's talk to the kids. She went and started talking to the kids and she came out after like not even a minute and a half of talking to the kids and immediately took the handcuffs off. And, and she looked at the male cop and said, you need to go outside. You need like, you can't be in here anymore. Yeah. And that, that was when she kind of took over from inside and she said, we're going to have to, we're going to have to take a a report. I'm going to ask her to leave. Um, and you know, just what do you want to do? Like, do you want to press charges? Blah, blah, blah. You know? And of course, in the time, it, it was 5.30 p.m. on like a Tuesday. I don't even remember. It was the middle of the week. And I'm like, no, I don't want to press charges. Just tell her to go away. Tell her to go to her mother's house or whatever. Tell her to just like stay away for the night. I just figured it was like all the other times. That's what I was going to say. Know? In your mind, you're still thinking, hey, we're going to put this back together. We're going to fix it, right? Every single damn time, Wes. Yeah. And that was the very beginning of a very long night. She left. We did reports. And then an hour and a half later, she came back and she was outside the apartment, like banging on the doors, banging on the windows. Our kids are are crying. They're, they're terrified. They're, they don't know what to do. And I'm like, the cops came, I would probably say a half a dozen times over the course of that night until at one point <clears throat> at one point at uh it was about 11 p.m. the the night shift now now we're a whole new Different shift people. of cops yep the night shift now convinced me to let her back in the apartment at 11 p.m. yeah yeah they convinced me to let her back in the apartment they said just you know She'll stay on the couch. Uh, she says she has nowhere to go. This is this um, is in New Hampshire. Know. Yep, yep. What? Derry, New Hampshire. What? Why would they not just like take her to jail? Dude, that's. I still have no idea. She was hammered. Right. Were, that's what I'm saying. Uh, like, I mean, okay, you're gonna go somewhere else. She's drunk. She's inebriated. Whatever she's got going on is not. She's not in right. the right mind. Go stick her in a cell for a while and let her let her relax and chill out and come down from that high before she can come have a normal conversation. 
No, they they convinced me to let her back into the apartment. I let her back into the apartment, and I told them, letting her back into the apartment, that it was a bad idea. What they told me was her name was on the lease for the apartment, that she had a right to be there just as much as I had a right to be there. And I'm like, it didn't make sense to me, trust yeah. me, and it still doesn't make sense to me. <clears throat> but I told them, I said, that's fine. I'll let her in. And I said to them, I said, I guarantee you're going to be back here. I guarantee you're going to be back here. And the minute they left, she was in there. She was walking around the living room, like just being obnoxiously loud. And she was, she was basically explaining her plot. And she said, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the courthouse tomorrow. I'm going to tell them all this stuff that you did. And I'm going to just tell them that, that you did this X, Y, Z. I was already back on the phone with the police department and I had it on speakerphone. And I said to the dispatcher, I said, your officers told me to let her back in. You can hear her in the background. I said, can you hear her clearly? The dispatcher said, yes. I said, do you hear what she's saying? And he said, yes. And I said, okay. I said, as long as there's a record of this, because I haven't done anything and this has been going on too long. So the cops came out for the final time and the cops are standing in my living room and they're like, okay, we've asked her to leave, but we can't make her stay away. The only thing that we can do is if you want, this is, it's 2 a.m. now, is we can wake a judge up and we can get uh, an emergency restraining order. And I said, good, wake a judge up. Like, I don't give a shit at this point. I haven't slept. <clears throat> Our poor kids are dealing with this, you know? So I'm like, wake the judge up. If that's what we have to do, wake the judge up. So I woke, we woke the judge up. I got emergency restraining order. I went to the courthouse the next morning to extend it. Um, while I was at the courthouse with our three kids, she got into the apartment and took everything in the fridge out and threw it all over the apartment. Like literally all the food that we had for our kids. Like it makes no sense. Um, you know, if you're mad at me, that's fine. But to do that to the kids, it was absolutely insane. And she wasn't in a right state of mind. I don't even know if, you know, she was even sober enough to understand what she was doing. Like yeah. it, it was just, it was bananas. And it just, it, there were, there were so many more crazy things that happened after that stemming from criminal cases um, between then and when we actually got divorced. Cause we're talking, it was August. Um, she ended up filing for a, a guardianship. She signed over guardianship of her daughter to her parents in November of that year. And that was, that was probably like my biggest rock bottom because I was dad for eight years. My stepdaughter carried my last name. Um, we had it legally changed so that we all had the same last name in the house. And when, when she was taken out of our house, I had went to the courthouse to, to fight it, to fight the guardianship case. Cause I got notified. Um, but in the state of New Hampshire, as a step parent, you have no rights, none. So I was basically excused from the hearing and was the, the judge, the judge, like I could tell the judge felt for me and, and, and cared because the judge said to me, I recommend, and I couldn't afford counsel, but he said, I, 
I highly suggest that you obtain counsel if you don't understand what paperwork you need to file. Um, but you need to file certain paperwork for you to be in here. You need to file certain paperwork to continue the case. You need to, there are things in steps that you need to take. Um, and my, my mother-in-law at the time, she worked for the courthouse. So it was kind of like they all knew who she was. She knew who all they um, were. And so I kind of like, I, I just, it was a, a losing battle. For yeah, me. it was pretty much stacked I, against you. You didn't have much of an option with anything. I didn't have anything. So I, I just, I basically went to the clerk's office and was like, I asked them and they're like, we can't give you legal advice. And I was like, whatever. I basically had like, just gave up at that point. <clears throat> I said, you know what? I'm going to focus on the, the, my son, my, my oldest son, who I had full custody of. Um, I'm going to focus on him and I'm going to focus on the son that I had with my ex-wife. Um, the, the baby the, in the house, I'm going to focus on my, my boys. And that, that was the goal at that point. And it was funny, man. Like my health was so, so poor at that time. Like I was literally a walking heart attack. Like, well, I mean, you have to think about stress. like, I think people don't understand all the stuff that's going on and you're busy taking care of everyone else. What's the one thing that suffers. It's kind of like the mechanic, right? You go to the, you go to the auto parts yep. or the auto mechanic and, Whose car is the worst car in that whole lot? The oil hasn't been changed in 10,000 miles. Exactly. You know, the tires have never been rotated. You're just not, you're too busy taking care of everyone else. You can't take care of yourself. Hey, exactly. And, and that was the, that was the case. And you know what? It wasn't just that it was, you know, I, I made plenty of excuses. Um, right. I excused myself because I said I worked too much, said that I couldn't afford to eat healthy. I said that I, couldn't exercise because I was too bit like there was just it was a vicious cycle. I ate because I was depressed. I was depressed because I was fat and unhealthy. I was fat and unhealthy because I ate. And it was like right. it's just this, a, yeah. this circle that just kept going on. But um so it was like the tail end of November and I was like, I knew that I needed to do something, but I wasn't quite ready. So I reached out to my social media and I was just like, does anybody uh, have an at-home workout DVD that I can do? Like, just let me borrow it. Let me borrow it because I'm not going to invest it myself. I was already like, it was November and I'm already looking at New Year's. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm like, okay, I, if, if, if I set myself up for, for New Year's, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. Now, I hate this resolutions. is a perfect time for... Dude, this is a perfect time for you and I to have this conversation too. <laughs> yeah. Cuz cuz th this will drop after after but it this today is December 28th, okay? And yep. the thing is is people have been telling themselves for for months now leading up to January that they're going to make a, a resolution, they're going to eat healthy, they're going to quit smoking, they're going to do all these things, right? What a new year's resolution truly is is it's a promise to yourself that you intend to break. Like that's yeah. just what it is. 100%. It literally, it literally is. And I was already planning on making this, uh, resolution. Right. And I reached out to my, my social media and a friend had T25. It's, you know, one of the original, uh, beach body workouts, you know, but like P90X insanity and T25, T25 right. was like the, the newer version of, of death by Shanti. So what most people don't um, so, know, like with Beachbody, though, is that like they they have like a diet plan, right? That they 
try to help you get to do, but they also give you, they give you a workout to do as well. They, they let you choose. Right. Right. They, they basically, so with Beachbody, they, they have nutrition and supplements and, and everything. It's, it's a total package. You can use all the tools or you can just do the workouts, whatever you need to do. Right. Um, but all I had was these DVDs. I, I didn't have the nutrition plan. I didn't have anything. I just had these DVDs given to me and it was right around Thanksgiving. And I stuck them on the table and I said, okay, see you in January. I was <laughs> like, like, like I was already planning on. Yeah. And, uh, if it wasn't for what happened and what transpired next, I, I, I might not be here to share the story. And I was planning on January 1st to start and December 1st, uh, 2015, I woke up that morning and I couldn't breathe. Um, I had severe sleep apnea and acid reflux, severe acid reflux, um, bad cholesterol, high blood pressure, walking heart attack, like I had mentioned before. And I tore off the CPAP machine. I, I, I ripped so the you mask even off. had a CPAP. It. Yeah, I, I ripped the mask off, and and I was I wore it because if I didn't, I would have died in my sleep. So I ripped it off my face, and I couldn't breathe. My throat was on fire. It was the acid reflux from being so heavy and laying. I I, I would lay on a, a decline almost, and the I would binge eat before I went to bed because I worked all day. So my, my eating habits were terrible. I ate like late at night. And basically it was the, the food that I ate the night before creeped up my esophagus to the point where like now it's I'm choking. Yep. And I tore the, the, the mask off and I ran to the bathroom. I we lived in a, a tiny two bedroom apartment at the time. And I remember I ran into the bathroom and it, it's a, a, a mirror, a, a sink vanity, a tiny toilet and a, and a tub shower. And it's like four by four in that, in that room. It's tiny. And I was kneeling on the floor in front of the toilet and I'm like, I'm dry heaving, but I'm not really dry heaving because I'm just like, I can't breathe and I don't know what to do. And it felt like an eternity of how long I was in that bathroom for. And it was probably only a couple minutes, but I ended up pulling myself up onto the vanity and and the sink and I was purple in the mirror. And now I'm like in shock because I'm realizing like how bad this is right now. And I opened, I opened the medicine cabinet and I grabbed a sleeve of um, Tums or Aunt Dass's Rolaids, whatever it was. Um, and I just started eating them. Now, mind you, I can't breathe and I'm putting stuff in my mouth and I'm chewing them. I'm chewing them and I'm trying to swallow. I'm trying to get them down. And I turned the water onto the faucet and I stuck my head underneath the faucet and I just started filling my mouth with water. And I finally felt everything go down and I came back up and I took a big deep breath and I was just like, it was such a relief. And I remember right before I got that breath, I just started praying because no matter what your belief system is or your relationship is to God as human beings, when you're faced with nothing left, you turn to prayer. You see it all the time. You see people who are uh, 
sworn atheists ask for prayers. Hey, if you're the praying type, can you pray over my family? We're going through like people just pray. They ask for prayers. And at the time I didn't really have a relationship with God. I was kind of angry with him and whatnot. But I remember saying to myself um, and praying to God and saying, give me an opportunity to breathe. Give me a chance to live and I will change things. I, if you let me live, I will change things for my kids. Cause all I could think about that morning in the bathroom was my kids waking up and finding their dad dead on the floor. And I just, I remember the emotion come over me just thinking like how messed up that would be for my children. And when I took that breath, I was like, it was almost like I was having a conversation with myself which is cheaper than therapy. If you ever need to just talk to yourself. (laughs) Um, I was having a conversation with myself that morning, but with God the whole morning. And after I took that breath, I immediately said out loud, okay, God, I just made a promise to you that I was going to change things. You let me live. I'm going to do it. And it was crazy. Like I literally took, um, I took a photo. I'll send you the photo too, so that um, you you can have it. Um, I took a photo that morning in the bathroom, in the exact mirror that I was looking in, and I said to myself, "This is the last time I'm going to look like this. This is the last time that I'm going to look like this." And I walked out into my living room and I threw in that DVD that I had that I was mm-hmm. waiting until January. And I went ham in my living room, dude, for 25 minutes. And it was the hardest 25 minutes of my damn life. And about five minutes in, I hated the lady that was the modifier. Um, she literally, like, Sean T is like, oh, you guys, if you can't do what we're doing, follow along with Tanya. She just had a baby. And I'm like, I couldn't keep up with her. I couldn't do anything. And I've met her since then. She's a wonderful woman. And if it wasn't for her modifying me through that program, I don't know that I would have got through it. But what I ended up doing was during that 25 minutes, there was a lot of things that I couldn't do at 400 plus pounds. Um, I just kept telling myself, stay moving, stay moving, stay moving. And I kept saying, it's almost over. It's like I kept watching the clock on the thing. I would go, okay. Five more minutes, 10 more minutes, you know, like counting down. And I'm like, and it was 25 minutes. That was it. And when I finished it, I was like, damn, that was the hardest 25 minutes of my life. And a lot of it, I just, I just marched in place. I didn't even do like, I didn't do burpees. I wasn't doing pushups. I was just like marching in place and staying, staying moving. And, uh, When I got done, again, talking to myself that morning, I'm like, that was the hardest 25 minutes of my life. And the thing is, is that was not true. Um, It was hard, but it was only hard for 25 minutes. Being unhealthy, being overweight, being depressed, being anxious, that was hard 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day, my life was extremely freaking hard. I That day, I chose a hard, for 25 minutes that was going to make me a better person. Yep. And I just started doing it every single day after that. And I didn't stop. And what was crazy was I had zero intentions of uh, coaching other people. I had zero. Int- like, like my goal was to, to be alive. Right. right. 
my goal was to not die. And I just started being accountable on my social media. And I said, you know what? I'm going to call myself out and I'm going to share this journey because if I give up, um, everybody will know. And that's what I started doing. I just started being accountable on social media and just being like, today was day one of the rest of my life. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. When I think back to the beginning of it, so many people like laughed at it and, you know, made fun of me and joked about it. And they're like, um, you're going to give up in two weeks. Um, this isn't going to last. And then there's something really funny to be said about that because a lot of people don't understand (laughs) that that's what it is. And I just said something yesterday that I had heard because I listened to, uh, I'll tell you right now, David Goggins is like, he pushes me harder than anyone. And I've never even met the guy. Exactly. But you'll never find, you'll never find a hater that is in a better place than you are. A person who's talking you down and person who is, who is telling you that, what you're doing is you're not going to make it and look at them. And I think that that's the hardest part, right? Like we have to figure out that we have to just look at the place where they're coming from to understand they're full of shit. Absolutely. And I, and I tell clients at West West, I tell clients all the time. I always tell people, if somebody gives you advice and you don't like it, take a look at their life. Would you trade places with this person? If you would not trade places with this person, don't take their advice. Don't listen to them. It doesn't mean that it's not easy to hear it, right? You still got to hear it. (laughs) Right. Then you have to check. You got to do that check and you got to go, hey, is this, is this coming from a place where they, you know, 90% of the time they're just jealous. You know, they're like, I couldn't do that. 100%. 100%. And it was, it was crazy too, because even, uh, even a month into me, you know, working out regularly, like I literally like that first month I lost like 20 pounds or more. Um, and it was like a considerable, like noticeable oh, difference yeah. in, in my, in my face and everything. And, um, I remember I was trying to figure out how I was going to continue doing it because yeah, I had this DVD, but what was I going to do? Just do this one workout program for the rest of my life and right. just continue this DVD. So I ended up, uh, my, my little sister, she, she worked with this girl who was, you know, signed up with Beachbody as a representative and whatnot. And she had reached out to me at the time and she basically seen like the drive in me. She's like, this dude is like not stopping. And she convinced me to, to get started. And, you know, they were talking to me about the supplements and all these things and the nutrition plan, because at the time, all I was doing was I was doing exactly what I knew from my younger years because I was not overweight my whole life. Right. My whole life, I was a gym rat, Wes. Like I played, I played sports in high school. I, I was always on the basketball court. I played football. I was, you know, I was a rugged kid. I, I used to do bodybuilding with, with buddies. Um, Isn't that like I a misnomer though? Like it's funny how that, because I, I, in, in my head, it's the same thing, right? Okay. I'm a I'm big dude, 6'3", probably weigh about 280 right now. I've been up to 350. When I was in high school, I weighed 260. I was always a big dude, right? And But the difference was, was that when we were in high school, we were moving around. We were playing sports. We were playing exactly. football. We were playing basketball. We were playing baseball. We were always active and we're eating because we're trying to take care of that situation. But now we're done. And this is, I was a PE teacher for a while and this was what I wanted, what I preached to kids all the time. I was like, you may right now like want to play basketball. You may want to play football in this class. But the fact of the matter is, is you're not going to do that after. 
You're going to have to exercise. You're going to have to eat right. Those are the things that you have to do. And I mean, you can, you can 90% of weight loss is diet exercise. You can only do so much, right? It's all. Yeah. It's all, it's all nutrition. And that was something that was a, uh, a hard thing for me to really focus on and to learn. And, and it's one of the hardest things that I have with clients is anybody can rummage through a workout and drag themselves through 25 minutes of exercise. Um, but what does but that burn though? How, right. Cause at the end of the day, it's about calories in calories. Exactly. Out. I was on elliptical this morning for, for 30 minutes. I, I burned 350 calories according to what the elliptical said. What is 350 calories? I mean, now you go <laughs> eat. You, you, your body burns a day like 2,500. Now you go and you just took 300 off of that and then you go eat 3,000. What's going to happen? Nothing. Well, just think of this. <laughs> 300 calories Three hundred calories is a 20-ounce uh, soda, Yep. basically. And people drink like 10 of those a day. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's absolutely uh, a madness, you know? And when, when they finally like, Talk to because at the time I was doing the old school steamed broccoli, uh, rice, chicken. Like right. that was what I was eating for every meal that first month, right? And it was like, and, and eggs, eggs, chicken, broccoli, rice. Um, and it was funny, like it was working because I was so overweight, it didn't matter. Like right. it was better than what I was doing. So, but I needed to kick it up a notch. So the end of December came. And um, my little sister that year for the holidays, she she bought me for Christmas. She bought me um, my first bag of Shakeology, which I swear by that stuff. Um, she bought it for me because I was broke. Um, and I was trying to figure out, I'm like, how am I going to be able to sustain this? Um, because, you know, I was, I drank it for an entire month in January. And it was like, it was just such a game changer for me because I was able to get I wasn't a big vegetables person. I was able to get all the nutrients and vegetables that I needed because it's a total nutrition supplement. It's not a protein shake. Right. And when, when I incorporated that, I noticed a, a big difference in my energy and, and everything um, just after seven days. Because it, it wasn't like it's not magic. You still need to eat healthy with it. It's not a weight loss shake. It's what it is, is it's a supplement to go with total nutrition, right? So you need to be doing all the things because it's not going to, you can't drink a shake and erase a Big Mac. That's not how right. it works. So I was eating good and, you know, I was, I was utilizing supplements properly at the time and I felt fantastic. And I'm like, how am I going to continue doing this? Cause now I'm like, I'm a single dad. I, I, you know, our divorce was finalized. I don't get child support. I just, which is a whole nother story on its own, just because, uh, you know, men on the receiving end of um, family court is, is tough. I had custody of the kids. So that's really what, what I focused on. But at the time I got WIC stamps for my youngest who, who was going to age out of that at the time which gave me $8 in produce, uh, a gallon of milk a month, two loaves of bread, some cheese, some yogurt, and some other stuff. And I would stretch that to feed myself and my my other son um, as much as I possibly could. And um, so I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to continue these supplements? You know, my electricity was about to be shut off. My car was about to be repossessed. Um, I was unsuccessfully evicted from my apartment 
for over two years at that point. Uh, I, I had nothing. I had nowhere to turn. And what I ended up doing was I had a credit card that had $145 left on it. And I, <laughs> I literally maxed it. It was the scariest moment, dude, because I had this credit card for like, if I really had no food, that was like the backup. That was like, so I could at least buy my kids some bread and peanut right. butter, you know, and I took that credit card and I maxed it out and I bought another fitness program. I signed up to become uh, an independent coach um, for a network marketing company and got myself a ba another bag of, of shakes. And I remember I almost sent it. it. It came, it got delivered like, you know, three to five days later. And I almost sent it back because I didn't have any money. And I'm like, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had two months of sharing my entire life on social media to the point where the moment that I told other people that I was able to help get them started, that my, my uh, inbox just flooded. Now, now mind you, I'm in a network of about 500,000 coaches and we are probably 95% female. So in, in what I do and the, the realm that I work in, men are stubborn where we don't, <laughs> we don't join things, um, it's predominantly female. And, you know, my customer base of 1200 people is 95% female as well. Um, but my inbox filled up and I was like, okay, let me help you out. I'll never forget that my income that I generated from helping other people get healthy just by showing them that I was getting healthy, kept my lights on. It kept my car from getting repossessed and it fed my kids. And I was like, you know what? There's something to this that is going to help save me right now. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know how this is going to work. I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember you know, people making fun of me the first two months of me, you know, working out. And then now I'm doing network marketing and it's such a stigma. Like now the haters are really coming, bro. Right. Like I'm talking like family, friends. Well, um, it works that way, right? Like, cause like you're telling someone, okay, so what are you doing? And then you tell them and they're like, oh, it's a pyramid scheme. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Oh, it's blah, blah. You know, like they, they just yes. want to. And that's one of the things like the people who are successful can get past that. The people who are not can't and and i think that that's one of the hardest yeah. things about network marketing is that it's a people look at it as like i i mean i sat down with a guy one time who grabbed me at i was changing tires for a living he's like hey i want to sit down with you and have lunch i'm like okay and, he, and i'm like what's this guy want like does he want to offer me a job but like yeah. where he actually works or what and he's like hey have you ever thought about selling amway and i'm like nope i'm out of here yeah yeah exactly and and you know it's so here's the thing is we can think of these individual companies where we're like, yeah, no way. Um, but then when I bring up the point to like, Hey, your mom used to sell Tupperware. She used to sell uh, Avon. She used to sell Mary Kay. Like your, your friend that sells Sensi, your friend that does doTERRA uh, essential oils. Like these are all major companies that do it. Like they're around for a reason. And the only thing that really like, and trust me, Nobody talked more crap about network marketing than this guy. And I used to make fun of people just like myself all the time. 
And, you know, when I swallowed my pride and ego about something that I had no idea about and didn't really understand, and I was simply just using talking points and opinions of other people to formulate my own opinion, I realized that, you know, I was dead wrong, number one. Number two, I also realized that not every opportunity in individual business is the same. And, you know, no matter what it is that you do, if you're a network marketer, if you benefit from whatever it is that you're using and you can apply it to your life and make your life better with it and share it to other people who might be able to better their life with it and you're passionate about it, you'll be successful. I don't care what the product is. I don't care what the company is. I don't care what the compensation plan is. I've been for the last seven years coaching people through network marketing to help teach them how to feed their kids. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I did. And <clears throat> for me, it was a no brainer because for me, it was me being able to do something that helped promote health in my house and teach my children that their dad can be healthy and it taught them things, you know, it was able to teach them. So when I signed up, man, I maxed out that card and it was the scariest moment of my life, but um, it changed things. And, you know, it, it changed things so much that, I mean, that was just the beginning. That was seven years ago. There is so much that's transpired over those seven years. Um, the people that have come into my life, the stories of, of people that have changed. I have a girl that I coach right now. She's lost uh, 180 pounds and she's in the running to win $100,000 if she, yeah. um, she's taken back her life. Like, I mean, this woman was, she had a car accident. She was suffering from preeclampsia uh, from one of her pregnancies, which I don't totally understand what that is, but listeners who know will understand. Yeah. She ha had a brain surgery twice. Now, this is during me coaching her. Mm -hmm. She had brain surgery twice. She had a hernia surgery. Um, and she's a complete rock star. She's probably one of the easiest people that I have ever coached because she wanted to change so bad. She literally, she, she, she came home to her husband having an affair while she was at her lowest point of her life. And she's completely changed her life. She's lost 180 pounds and now she's in the running to win $100,000 for her life change. And it's like, for, for me to be able to do that, that's what really motivates me these days is, is, is helping other people just completely change their lives. It's crazy. And if it wasn't for this opportunity and what I'm doing, I wouldn't be in Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I, I met my wife in this opportunity. She, like literally God dropped her in my life. And so 2018. Uh, so I want to, I, I gotta, I have, I have to kind of slow us down. Here. Here's kind of the thing. I want to invite you again, because I think that here's the thing. We talked about this before. I think we've got through the beach body part, right? We've talked about all that yeah. stuff and I want to talk about the speaking stuff, but unfortunately I have to go to work. <laughs> you got it. You got so it. So what I want to, I want to do is I want to invite you. I want this to be part one and I'm wondering if you come back and we can talk about the speaking and everything else. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. It's a good conversation. I think that people really need to hear what you have to say. I mean, I've, this is one of the longest interviews I've done in a while and it's just great to hear all this stuff. And I think that 
we have a great story to share. So we're going to come back with part two. We're going to talk about your speaking and all the other things that you're doing in addition to the Beachbody thing, because it's a great story. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. My pleasure, brother. Perfect. Okay. So hang tight here. All right, everyone. Well, that is the end of the show for this time. This is part one with Craig Daigle. We're going to come back in a couple weeks here. We're going to do it again. Or, well, we're going to see how it works on his schedule. We're going to do it again. Then we're going to talk about the speaking engagements and stuff like that, because I think that it is highly important that you hear the rest of the story. Thank you for hanging out and get ready for part two when it shows up. Until next time, I challenge you to find the shape of your success. 